you give a more praise to the Lord? That was an amazing time of worship, and it's like we begin with that, we're going to end with that, because God is always worthy, amen? I'm so glad that you're here today. I mean, you, you risk the, not, the, the lack of the hour, and you're still here, come on. How many went to Starbucks? Anybody? Well, maybe afterwards some of you will be heading that way, right? And need a little bit of a pick-me-up, a good pick-me-up after. You're going to get a pick-me-up here. You're in the right place today. And we are starting this two-part uh, I Still Believe series, uh, and I have the privilege of starting it off today. Pastor is in La Puente at Shining Light Ministries, our We love Pastor Mario, Pastor Arlene Villa, and so he's there delivering the word, and I'm here, and I am so excited to just be with you today. This, I've been praying, and I've been asking the Lord, what do you have for your people? And I know that God is going to speak to us. He's He's been speaking to me. I know he's going to speak to you, and I count this a privilege to come. So I'm going to give you my best. And I, I want, can you give me your best right now? All right. All right. You may be a little bit tired, but maybe you have to pinch yourself, keep yourself awake. Come on. Let's stay awake together as we're lacking a little bit of sleep here. Uh, have you ever had a prayer go unanswered? And that's what we're going to be talking about today, responding to unanswered prayers, because Sometimes our prayers are not always answered in the timing that we would want, in the way that we would want. And so how do we respond? And, and sometimes we get a little bit frustrated, angry, confused. Uh, I, I think at times we get a little bit disappointed because our prayers are not being answered. We're praying and we're saying, God, I'm praying. I don't see the answer. I don't, I don't see the results that I'm looking for. And so what do we do in those times when we are praying? Well, we're in good company because that not only happened happens in our lives, but it's been happening. And people have experienced that people in the word of God have experienced unanswered prayers. We see that after losing most of his family and fortune, Job, he cries out to God. He says, I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. So Job is crying out to God because he doesn't see the answer. Then we also see David. David's tired of running. He's running away from his enemies. And, and he writes this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? And so we see that in Psalm 22, 1 through 2. We see David asking God, why, why are you not responding to my prayers? And then we see after the, the death of their brother Lazarus, we see Mary and Martha coming to Jesus and saying to Jesus, if only you would have been here, our brother would not have died. That was an unanswered prayer. And they're asking God, why? Why? 
Why? And the list could go on. Many others, and we have experienced at times unanswered prayers. And so uh, over the next two weeks in this series, I still believe we're going to be addressing these types of things. And we're going to be sharing this real-life story of Jeremy Camp and, and the testimony that he went through and what he walked through. And we're going to see how God answers even when it seems it doesn't, the answer doesn't come in the way that we would want it. So let's go ahead and pray this morning, and we are going to ask the Holy Spirit to direct our time together. Thank you, Lord, that you have been in this place. We've experienced a wonderful time of worship. And Lord, we thank you that I know that your presence, I thank you because I know that your presence is in this place. And Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and you would direct us. Lord, you would show me what to, where to go in this message. You would show me what to say. Oh God, we follow your lead. And we thank you, oh God, because you are, Lord, the one, oh God, who does amazing things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Do we cry out like David did? Do we get sad or hurt like Mary and Martha did? Do we shut down? Do we give God the silent treatment? I mean, we think about that because sometimes that's the way we react in our human relationships, right? We react in those ways when we're not getting the answers or people aren't responding to us the way that we would want them to respond to us. And so it's kind of even it's kind of even more complex because we're dealing with the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos, and we're in this relationship with him, and we're, we're like, God, you made the heavens and the earth. There's nothing too hard for you to do. In fact, you made the creatures like the porcupine and the platypus. You made those amazing types of creatures, so why can't you work in my situation? Why can't you do what I'm asking you to do? And and so sometimes we get upset at God. Sometimes, if we're honest, we give God the silent treatment because we're not getting the answers or the responses that we would want. Today, I want to share with us three practical ways that we can respond when we are confused, when we're angry, when we're not knowing what to do, three practical ways of what to do when we have unanswered prayer. The first one is wait. Wait. Wait on God. A pretty lonely guy decided that life would be much more fun if he had a pet. So he went to the pet store and told the owner that he wanted to buy an unusual pet. After some discussion, he decided on a centipede, which came in a little white box to use for its home. He took the centipede home, found a good location for the box, and then decided that he would start off by taking his new pet to a restaurant to have dinner. So he asked the centipede in the box, Would you like to go with me to Wendy's to have dinner? But there was no answer from his new pet. 
This bothered him a bit, but he waited for a few minutes and then asked him again, How about going with me to Wendy's? But again, there was no answer from his new friend and pet. So he waited a few minutes more. Thinking about the situation, he decided to ask him one more time, this time putting his face against the centipede's house and shouting, Hey, in there, would you like to go with me to Wendy's to have dinner? A little voice came out of the box from the centipede. I heard you the first time, but I'm putting on my shoes. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes there will be times that we will wait. And waiting on God is not a popular answer, but it's a powerful way to respond. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, he writes that even youth, youth will grow tired and weary. And young men, even young men will stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength in Isaiah 40. And so sometimes we're trying to figure out the plans of God. But we're in this waiting season and it's uncomfortable. And we don't like it very much. And we want, we want to respond with impatience. But those who respond with patience, what does Isaiah the prophet say? They will be renewed in their strength. And in fact, Isaiah goes on to say, they will soar with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not grow faint. That comes when we wait on God. That's the result when we choose to wait on God. And let me take this a little bit further. Let's ponder the question of what happens when we don't wait. What happens when we don't wait? I can't wait. I can't. That's in our vocabulary, right? I can't wait. That's a phrase we always use. I can't wait. And let me be so bold to say that this is the place where some people drop off. Because they're not willing to wait. They say, I won't wait. And then they veer off to find their own answers and solutions. Because they don't want to wait for God's response, for his direction, for his leading. And let me say to us, sometimes that very thing that you're holding on for dear life, that very thing that you think you cannot live without... That's the very thing that may be harming you. That's the very thing that you're clinging to and clutching to. That very thing is doing you damage and destruction. Waiting on God. What happens when we don't wait for God to answer us? We'll consider this contrast. There was a young man and his name was Absalom. And he was the king's son. In fact, he was next in line to be king. But he didn't want to wait. He didn't want to seek God for the answers and the direction. In fact, he took matters into his own hands. And he devised 
his own plan of how he would become king. And the Bible goes on to say that, that Absalom begins to wait in front of the palace when people would come to have a decision or a judgment from the king and instead he would he would greet them and he they would come they would go to bow before him and he would say no i'm going to embrace you and he'd say he'd say let me hear your case and the people would present their case and he would say well if i was king then I would be giving you favor. I would give you the answers that you need. And it goes to, the word of God goes to say that he, he, um, he won the hearts of Israel. He stole the hearts of the people away from the king. And this was his plan. And he decides that he's going to take the kingdom from his father. And he, he creates a coup and he, he, he strives to take the kingdom. What happened when this young man, who was impatient, in fact, he was rebellious, and he didn't want to wait on God for direction and leading in his life, what happens was it was his downfall. In fact, it cost this young man his life. It cost him his life. Now, contrast that with his father, King David. Contrast that with his father. David was also a young man. He was a teenager when God anointed him to be king. He was anointed to be king of Israel because King Saul, the current king at the time, was rejected by God because because King Saul was disobedient. And in his disobedience, the spirit of God that was on Saul's life lifted and it lifted, it left Saul, and then it, be, it, it came upon David. And the Spirit of God was on David, and everything David did, he succeeded. And Saul saw that, and he became jealous. And in fact, he hated David. So he seeks to hunt down David to kill him. And this went, went on for years. Saul was after David, and David was hiding in the wilderness. David was hiding in caves, and Saul was after him. And on two occasions, David actually gets the opportunity to kill Saul. Two opportunities to actually kill his adversary, his enemy. And so he gets this opportunity, and even the men, David's men with him said, do it. Kill him. This is your time now to reign. This is your time. God has given your enemy into your hand. But David, what did he say? He said, no, I will not do it. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I will not take things and matters into my own hand. I won't wait. I will wait until God gives me the kingdom. Because David knew this fact, that if he took matters into his own hands, it would be by his own device that he would become king. But if he waited until God gave him the kingdom, then he would stand in that place because God had appointed him to have that kingdom. There's a powerful analogy in a book that Jean Edwards wrote about this very, this, the lives of King Saul, King David, and Absalom. And it's called a, a tale of three kings. And, it, and Jean Edwards writes this. He said, King Saul sought to destroy David. 
But his only success was that he became the instrument of God to put to death the Saul who roamed about in the caverns of David's own soul. And that's how it is. God uses everything, even waiting. We may feel like I'm waiting and nothing's happening. But let me tell you that God is always working. And in the waiting, God is fashioning and he's forming you. He's doing something in you while you're waiting. And that's what happened to David. Commentators say that it took up to 7 to 14 years for when the time that David was anointed to the time that he actually went to the throne. He waited that time. But what was happening while he was out in the wilderness? He was being fashioned and formed by the spirit of God the soul in him was being was being battered out by the experiences that he was facing and so when he became king he was not going to be disobedient like his predecessor God is working even in the waiting God is working even in the shadows even in the shadows. And, and the shadows are sometimes a dangerous place because we can't always see what God is doing. And so sometimes when God is working in the shadows, we need to be careful not to short circuit the process that God is doing in our lives because we can't see clearly. We need to be careful in those times because we can't go by feeling. We can't go by sight. We have to walk by faith. We have to believe that even though I can't see it, God, you're doing something in me in the waiting. I love this verse in Psalm 91.1. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God is working in the shadow. Rest assured that God is working. If you find yourself in the shadows this morning, God is working out something good that you cannot attain by your own doing. Trust that God is working. He's bringing out a good work in your life. And this brings me to the second point. What else can we do when we are faced with unanswered prayer? Walk. We keep walking with God. We keep walking with God. The Apostle Paul, he faced a situation that could have debilitated him. It could have stopped. Can you imagine if the situation in the Apostle Paul's life that he talks about in Second Corinthians, if he, if he would have allowed it to stop him. Let's read about that situation in Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And this is in the Passion Translation. The extraordinary level of the revelations I received, this is Paul talking, is no reason for anyone to exalt me. This is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me. The adversary's messenger sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to to relieve me of this. 
But he answered, my grace is always more than enough for you. My power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, I sense more freely the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not disheartened, defeated in my weak, by my weaknesses, but delighted. For when I feel my weaknesses, For when I feel my weaknesses and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded by troubles on every side and face persecution because my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. For my weaknesses become a portal to God's power. A portal to God's power. The Apostle Paul, he experienced so many great things. He even went to the third heaven. I mean, these things could have puffed him up. But so that, that what the word says, so that he would not become arrogant, the Lord allowed a messenger of Satan to be a thorn in Paul's side. Now, we don't know what this thorn exactly was. Some people say it could have been a debilitating illness. We don't know exactly, but it was, commentators describe it like it was a punch in the gut for Paul. Every time this messenger would come around, it was like a punch in the gut. It was something very, very difficult that the apostle Paul, he pleads with God to take this away. And he pleads, it says three times, and I believe it was more than three times, he's asking God, take this away. But he doesn't get the answer that he's looking for. In fact, God gives him something greater. He gives him his grace. He gives him his grace. And what is the grace of God? The grace of God, it says, child, I know you're going through this circumstance, but know in the circumstance, I love you with an undying love. I, you're my delight. You, I love you. My joy is over you. And I'm going to help you through this process. I'm going to help you through this circumstance. I am with you. It is God's empowerment. It's his favor over our lives. The grace of God helps us to do what is right when we would want to do what is wrong. It helps us to stand when we would want to fall. It helps us to continue walking when we would want to run away. The grace of God is better than even the answer that Paul was looking for. And because of that, Paul continues to walk. Paul continues to go forward. And I love that, that the thorn of the flesh, we don't, we don't exactly know what it is. And I think that's on purpose so that we could say whatever our circumstance is, whatever our personal thorn in the flesh is, God's grace is sufficient in our weakness. It's like The place of grace is the humble place. The place of grace is the humble place. It's the place when we realize, I can't do it. I am insufficient. And it places us in a place where the grace and sufficiency of God is being poured out in us. It's like this. When a little child is learning how to hit, learning baseball and how to hit the ball. 
right? They go up there and, and they try to hit the ball and a lot of times they're swinging and the ball is, is, uh, they're swinging too late before the ball comes or they're swinging too high or they're swinging too low. And it's like that time when the father comes over to the child and says, look, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And he puts his hands on the little child. And he, he puts his strength into the swing of the little child. And when the ball comes, because of the father's power and his know-how, he hits that ball. And the ball goes farther than that child could ever imagine. And it's a home run because God completes the work that he does in our lives. He brings it to a finish. He completes the work in our lives and we can trust him that's what God's grace is so that we can keep walking we can keep going forward even though we don't get the answers that we're looking for and finally what do we do in the unanswered prayer the third point is worship we worship we worship In the waiting, while we're walking, while we're waiting, we worship. It's like this, when King David was troubled, and he was trying in the process to understand the Lord's plans and purposes for his life, he worshipped. And the Psalms is a collective part of his, his crying out, of his worship to God in the times of trouble. After Job lost his livestock, his servants, his sons, his daughters, it says this in the word of God. Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship. He chooses to worship after all the loss. In his popular song, Walk by Faith, Jeremy Camp, on his honeymoon, he shares this word, these words. Well, I will walk by faith, even when I cannot see. Because this broken road prepares your will for me. And through the testimony of Melissa and Jeremy Camp, we see this being lived out of worship. The principle of worship Melissa, at a very, as a young adult, very young age, she was diagnosed with cancer, and it was a terminal cancer. And many times, while they were in the hospital room, and and she was receiving treatment, and it was touch and go, she would worship. She would tell Jeremy, I just want to worship the Lord right now. So then Jeremy would get out his guitar, And he says in those moments, and we had more of those moments where it's not about our circumstances, when we worship the Lord, he is worthy to be praised no matter what we are going through. And then in 2001, 21-year-old Melissa died. And so Jeremy remembered that day. He said, I was on my knees, and I remember her sister saying, she is with Jesus now. A grief fell over me that I can't describe. The weight of her suffering is over, but the grief is she's gone. 
We always had worship music playing on the on in the background. I remember the Lord speaking into my heart saying, Jeremy, I want you to stand up and worship me. I remember standing and raising my hands. That was such a good act of obedience for me. Just saying, Lord, I don't want to do this, but I know this is why I am here. C.S. Lewis wrote, wrote and quoted of saying, It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. It's in the process of being worshipped. Why? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship him, when we come collectively together and we worship, God's presence comes down and his grace is poured out. His very presence where miracles, signs and wonders, where supernatural power is available, that comes forth in the times when we worship. It actually draws us closer to him. But have you stopped worshiping because you've been frustrated? Have you stopped worshiping because you feel too hurt? Have you stopped worshiping because the answers that you're hoping for haven't come about? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you today. Don't stop worshiping. Because worship is powerful. Because it issues a response from God that opens up his heart and his hands toward us. I've experienced this in my own life. When I was young, I struggled with depression so much. And in my young adult years, I was constantly going through times of depression. It just didn't seem like I could shake off depression. But what happened was I became a worship leader. And I started to start singing. And I started to, I had to invest. I started investing in the songs. And I started over and over again listening to the songs, learning the words, singing out the songs. And what happened as a result, those songs got in me. And because those songs were were uh, songs of the words, word of God, the word of God then got in me. And the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides soul from spirit, bone from marrow. And what happened was the sword of God cut the destructive thoughts in my mind. And it brought healing. It brought restoration. And it healed my soul where I no longer have to deal with depression like I once did. In fact, I could say I'm rarely depressed nowadays because God's word is in my life and God's word is living. Worshiping, worshiping the presence of God. It brings the presence of God. And and Matthew Barnett, who is the pastor of the L.A. Dream Center, where there's 300 residents that live on the campus of the L.A. Dream Center, that they live there for free, and they've come from the streets, and they've come out of addiction, and they've come to this place to live at the Dream Center. And many of them have been 
misdiagnosed of saying that they have mental illnesses that cannot be cured. They have mental illnesses. They've said that the, these people are too far gone. But Pastor Matthew Barnett, what, what does he said? He says, after nine months of living on, living at the Dream Center, of coming into the house of God, of being exposed to the presence of God, these people that their minds were once blown from drug addiction and overdose, these people have their minds restored, they have their lives transformed, and they are completely new and different people because of the power and the presence of God. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, this well-known verse, it says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. The word sacrifice is a Greek word there, thusia, that comes from the root thuo, and it's a verb meaning to kill or slaughter for a purpose. So when we're coming to God, it's a, at times it's going to be a sacrifice of praise because you're not going to wa- feel, because of your circumstance, you're not going to feel like worshiping God. And at that time, it's going to be something that's going to have to be killed. I know when I come and I don't want to worship, I know there's something in me that's got to be killed. There's something in me that needs to be slain, whether it's my pride, whether it's my self-consciousness, whether it's my disappointment. And I come to the Lord and I, I come and I place those things on the altar and I say, even though I don't feel like it, Lord, I'm going to bring a sacrifice of praise to you. And it's a time that I will worship worship the Lord because when we don't feel like worshiping something in us God has to be killed there's a testimony of this house that I want to share today and it's a testimony of Jenny and Anthony Reyes and a few years ago Jenny was wanting another child they had they had two daughters at that time and they were wanting to have another child. But she had a condition that she was dealing with where it was difficult for her to conceive. And even if she conceived at that time in early pregnancy, her, she would miscarry. So even, even when before she would even know at times that she was pregnant, she would already have a miscarriage. And she went through three miscarriages. And so it was a time of difficulty for Jenny. It was a time of grieving the loss of those babies. It was a time that was, it was difficult. And then she got pregnant. And at first she didn't want to tell anybody because of what had happened already. And it was, it was, it was a fearful time for her. And so she hadn't told anyone, and, and she came on a Wednesday night, and and pastor was preaching about building an altar, 
build an altar and how Abraham built an altar and he sacrificed to the Lord and he laid the sacrifice on the altar and he spoke that out and he said at times build an altar in your life and worship God when you don't know what the circumstance holds for you or you don't know what's going to happen build an altar so Jenny took that word and that that night she came forward and she prayed at the altar and she lifted up her hands and worshiped and then she went home she went home and she said anthony was out out of town that weekend and then her body began to show signs of miscarriage again and it was scary but she said i'm going to build an altar And so she went into her room and she put worship music on and she said she prayed and she cried and she worshiped and she built an altar to God of saying, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to build you an altar of worship and I'm going to put this circumstance on the altar as my sacrifice. So she got an appointment with her her doctor and so the earliest appointment that she went into and and so she came to that appointment and so she went and as her doctor was doing the ultrasound and through all that she saw that her baby was healthy alive in the womb doing just fine that was four years ago four years ago We have a beautiful little girl that's a part of this church, Ella B., where God answered the worship of his daughter. And I'm saying to you today, if you're dealing with something, place it on the altar and say, God, I'm going to leave this before you. It's not contingent on you answering my prayer the way I want you to, but it's contingent on you're worthy. You're worthy. You're always good. I'm going to praise you no matter what. I'm going to lift up my sacrifice of praise. And then let me tell you that I've come to understand when I don't feel like worshiping, I worship because I've come to understand that it's a sign that the breakthrough is right around the corner. Whenever you feel like not worshiping, it's because there's a resistance. Because the enemy is afraid. If they worship, the answer is going to come. So I've come to know that when I don't feel like worshiping and I feel the resistance of the enemy, that's when I praise him the most. That's when I lift up my hands because I I know the breakthrough is as good as done because God is fighting my battles for me. And that's what is said in Psalms 149. It says God's high and holy praises fill their mouths. Whose mouths? The mouths of his people. For their shouted praises are their weapons of war. These warring weapons will bring vengeance on every opposing force and every resistant power to bind kings with chains and rulers with iron shackles. That's what it does to the enemy. 
praise-filled warriors will enforce the judgment doom decreed against their enemies. This is the glorious honor he gives to all his godly lovers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My praise is my greatest weapon. go ahead and pray. God, I thank you. You are so in this place, oh God. I'm so in awe by your presence right now because I can feel your touch, Lord. As the hearts of your people, Lord, they're so hungry and so open to you this morning. I know we are a people of worship. I know we have a song that liberates those who are bound up. It breaks the fetters. It breaks the chain. It breaks off oppression. It breaks off depression. It heals those who are sick. It brings the captives into freedom. It brings the prodigals home. Oh, God, you're amazing. It brings about supernatural working power. The mighty power of Jesus. The name above no other, every other name. The name like no other. Jesus. Jesus, the powerful one. Jesus, the awesome one. Now I'm going to open up the altars today. I just feel like God is going to give breakthrough today. And I just want to say to you, let your breakdown, you may be experiencing a breakdown in an area of your life. Let your breakdown, let it cause a breaking in you to bring about a breakthrough. God's breakthrough in your life. Because God is going to break off those things that have been binding you up. He's going to do it today. He's going to do it. And and we have to respond. If we respond to his presence, then he will be faithful to do what he promised to do. So I'm just going to open up the altars right now. And and we're wanting to pray with you. And I'm going to invite you. I'm going to challenge you. You may have never come to the altar. This may be the day that you come to the altar for the first time. But God is calling you to take the step. He says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You have to take the step. God, I thank you that you're in this place. God, you're healing bodies and conditions. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I invite you to come. And as you come, you're going to meet Jesus. You're not going to meet some impersonal force. But you're going to meet the mighty God, the personal Jesus, to have a personal relationship with him. And if you don't know a personal relationship with Jesus, he's calling you today. He's calling you today to come. I invite you to come. God, we praise you in this place.